What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the State of the Nova Nation podcast from VU Hoops. I'm Emma Houghton. He's Pat Zhang. And Pat, we said last week that the game we had witnessed was a different version of Villanova basketball. And on Friday night, we saw another version of Villanova basketball. And as we woke up on Monday and this episode comes out on the day of the Xavier game, Villanova is now the 23rd ranked team in the country following a 20 point loss to Creighton on Friday night. So as you said, it's been a couple days since that game took place on Friday night as to when we're recording this. I'm still pretty angry. I thought things were going to subside a little bit, but the second I start thinking about it and was prepping for this show, it brought back those emotions of just Friday night was a disaster. I mean, that's the, let's be real about it. Friday night was a disaster. It's so funny. I, you and I had been talking the whole game. We were talking about how happy we were. We didn't have to record because it would have just been 40 minutes of screaming our heads off. <laughs> no one needs to hear me. Yell. So bad. Exactly. And then over the weekend, I felt much better and I watched some other teams play and I started gaining some perspective and then, oh my God, I watched the game highlights and it yeah, all me came too. rushing back. And the, it's one thing to watch a game and analyze it. It's another thing to get caught up in the motions because you really want Villanova to win. And that's mm-hmm. how I was on Friday and now watching and actually looking out for the X's and the O's and how they played and analyzing each guy's performance. It was tough. It was tough to, it was tough to sit through those game highlights, which just yes. brings back all the horrible memories from watching it live. <laughs> I, I agree. And I do the same thing as you. So obviously I watched it live, all the emotion is in it. And then I, I rewatch all the games, usually either through full games, I just record or I'll watch through full game highlights. Yeah. And uh, I was still pretty angry uh, watching through the game highlights, though. It was a lot more analytical and able to watch things knowing the outcome, but boy, that was Rough back to what a brutal week for Villanova basketball taking on that Baylor game and then leading into Creighton. You want to know how brutal it really was? Let's do it. I've got some numbers on it too. Oh boy. We'll start I off bet like they're this, the same I thing. guess. <laughs> this was the program's first back-to-back 20 yep. point losses yep. since 1998 to 99 people. We were born in 1998. I wasn't sure if we were going to say that. Yeah, we were exactly. Oh man, I'm sorry if we just uh, exposed ourselves there, but we were born in 1998. So that is a remarkable statistic that we found. That was that was the same one you had, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. Same one I had, which is just crazy. The thing about also last time Villanova scored fewer than 60 points in back-to-back games was November of 2012. So yeah. it's been a little while since uh, the offense misfired uh, like this in back-to-back games. Yeah, and it's interesting to go from the Baylor game to the Creighton game. Yeah, two, two different defense, things for sure. It, yeah, the defense looked fine against Baylor. It was the offense struggling. And then on Friday night against Creighton on the road, it was just a cumulative disaster. I love and, that cumulative disaster. Yeah, that's the only way I can. It was a full-fledged, horrible effort on both sides. And I guess if I had to separate and categorize the things I want to talk about, it's defense it's three-point shooting hmm. and the offense in general. And then I have some interesting points on on rebounding. But I actually was thinking, this is obviously going to be a negative podcast. But I, I would think say we so. Should, we should maybe start with the one positive. And oh, I'm glad me, you have one. For me, that was Eric Dixon. I'm kidding. Yes, I had that down too. Yeah. 
So I think we should start with that, right? Put people off on a, on a good note and then just slowly crush their spirits as we go on. Fair enough. Yeah, I think so. I, I think from Eric, you know, you're seeing the progression again, which, which is nice. I believe it was a career high in scoring output for him for 15 with 15 points. He brought in nine boards, also filled up the stat sheet with a block and a steal, if I'm remembering. Most two important, steals, yeah. two steals. Uh, most importantly, zero turnovers, which has been an issue for Eric coming out of the post. I still... The efficiency isn't great. Uh, he's definitely taking a lot more shots. Uh, you know, it was nice to see him hit two of three from deep as well as we continue to try and grow that part of his game and give Villanova another option out there. But as you said, if we're looking for positives in this game, I do think Eric Dixon becoming more mature and coming through with a, a big performance on the road, mind you, in a, in a tough environment. That's where we can hang our hat on one thing, at least. Yeah, I'm laughing because you said to give Villanova another option from three. I think right or now... an option. <laughs> an option. <laughs> if Eric Dixon is becoming a three-point option, we are in dire straits. <laughs> he, has shot it. he has shot it well from beyond the arc this year. Yes, it's in very limited sample size. I think Not... he's shot, what, 13 threes this year? Something yeah, around I think he was six for 10 going into the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, trust me, I, I agree with you. I think I love when he throws up a shot as long as he keeps it at that scale. I think it's a nice added bonus he definitely needed this type of game it was great to see that zero in the turnover yes that's huge like you said yeah and he's a good scorer down low and he also did it against ryan kalkbrenner who's seven foot so i thought this was a good check in the box for him he worked on some things it's obviously coming together he continues to take that jump he continues to mature and progress on both sides of the ball. And I, I truly do think that was the only positive from this game. He is such a key player as well, just with how different he is than all the other Villanovans that are out there, especially in the post, that they need him to come along and come along faster than we had initially thought because we had imagined that other players are going to step up. We haven't seen that as much, especially recently. So if Eric Dixon can continue to progress and give them some sort of presence um, as a forward, as a center, I know it's not as much interior game because we're seeing a lot of mid-range from him and then he hit the two threes uh though the footwork as we've talked about in the post before i've been impressed by throughout the season yeah there's gotta be more or there's gotta be less reliance on that mid-range we obviously know how lethal that can be we watched jeremiah jeremiah robinson earl do it for years but i would rather see him try in the post try and post up a calcbrenner try and post up an o'connell whoever was on the court at the time of hawkins and just see what he can do, because mm-hmm. I think he can play bully ball. And for some reason with him and with Samuels and with Slater, there's just so much caution when it comes to playing down low. And I think this team, I, we're getting into it right now, but it's it's too reliant on the three. If we had that conversation, it is now fully fledged too reliant on the three ball when they have options down low that they're just completely ignoring at this point. Yeah. And I, that's kind of what I was alluding to with Dixon that he's taking a a lot more shots. And for me, too many of them are still that mid range jumper. And uh, while I understand he's open and he's taking it, I, I would much rather it a be a three point attempt or B be in the post and try to use that, that footwork and his body underneath rather than all these mid range shots. So I'm with you there. You know, as you talk about the three Villanova is now 10 for their last 47 from deep over the last two games. And, and as we've seen, there hasn't been a lot of plan B and it happened again. We talked about that against Baylor and it happened again on Friday night. No plan B is, is, is putting it nicely. Yeah, yeah, there is, there, there just isn't another option. They are sticking to the five out. They're forcing 
Samuels to put up how many he put up nine, five I threes, say, or nine, nine full field goals. Yeah. yeah. That's too many shots. We've talked about it ad nauseum. He cannot be at this game. He actually wasn't the leading field goal attempt, but he can't be putting up that many shots when he has such an advantage down low and they're not using it. Um, I feel like, Oh God, I'm getting so angry. Just talking about it. We're both holding in the emotion as we talk. I've taken a couple sighs before I've spoke. You're thinking it through. Yeah, that's how I, I, I completely just forgot where I was going to go because there's so many things. Again, it, it was in Baylor. It was missing the bunnies, missing mm-hmm. the gimme shots. And that just pushed them further and further into this hole that they made themselves in this game. It's just continuing to chuck up threes that not that aren't falling. And Jay Wright has preached this since he's become the coach. And for years and years and years, when the team is having a bad shooting night, you just wait for it to go through the hoop. There's talented, there's enough talent on this team where we're fine if they put up 20 shots, you know, whatever, whatever it takes, whatever their usual numbers are. Mm-hmm. But I'll stick by it. We ha- we continue to not be wowed by this team's three-point shooting performance. And we continue to see them just ad nauseum take these shots. What what can this team lose from trying to mix it up down low? How could it possibly be worse? Right? That's what, mm-hmm. how could it possibly be worse? Stop taking so many threes. Drive. See what happens. That's where I'm at. That's where I'm at right now. Interesting. Yeah, because I am still a believer in the three-pointer that I, I want them to focus out there. I just want them to mix it up a little bit more because it has become, as we've talked about, so, so reliant on it. And if we look at this game specifically, uh, you know, Justin Moore had a, a very off game. I don't think Moore is a fair one to target through the season because yeah. I actually think he's been very good and very consistent for most games. Of course, what we've talked about many times for the season is can they find that other scoring output? Because we know Colin Gillespie is the guy. Justin Moore has mostly been it. He was not it on Friday, and clearly they completely suffered. Uh, Brandon Slater went back to kind of a little bit more tentative Brandon Slater where you didn't see the points. He was the one that, again, I really want to see drive to go to your point because we know about how athletic he is. We know how crazy that left hand can be when he elevates. Mm. Um, I, I hate to be negative, but it, it just, it has to be said. We've kind of been talking about it before J- Jermaine Samuels. It's, it's gotten into very concerning territory. I understand he was good on defense and that's of course, very, very important. But as we look at Samuels this year and we look at a team that is still looking to replace Jeremiah Robinson, which is what I'm going to continue to go through this year because it is so true. You know, it, he has, regressed in field goal percentage, three-point percentage, points per game, and heavily in assists from 2.5 to 1. For a guy that is going to be relied on more this season and what Jermaine Samuels is, of course, as we go into his fifth year, it's quite simply not good enough. And they need so much more from him on the offensive side of the ball. And that is where I think they're they're really lacking right now because Justin Moore normally gives you a decent performance. You know, Slater, I know, has been a little cold of late, but it's Samuels was supposed to be the guy that going into the fifth year obviously knows all about the system. You know, we've seen him come through in games in the past, and he's taken a step back basically across the board this year. And I think that is a big reason of why this team isn't living up to expectations right now. Yeah, and Pat, honestly, I want to I want to group Colin in with that. Uh, the 16 points, it's a nice number, it's a nice output, but Colin's shooting has been bad. It, it's been really bad, and I know that we've talked about this in the past. And like, if people are 
criticizing him after the UCLA game. That's just not right because it is an opponent's game plan to eliminate Gillespie. But his shooting percentage has just been so low recently. And he still has the ability to completely quiet a crowd with a step back jumper or fade away. That's just really, really smooth, but it's just not coming mm-hmm. in a consistent basis anymore. And I really like that point about more in Slater because we can have an entirely different discussion about how this team doesn't have a go-to tertiary or sometimes <laughs> secondary score. I, I honestly want to table that because we've said it. We've we said know it. A bunch. it. Yeah. yeah, it's it's there. We know it. The interesting thing though, is that both of us, and I didn't even explicitly think this until you just said it. And I thought, oh, wait, that's exactly how I feel too. I'm not putting the blame on Moore or Slater here. Mm-hmm. I'm still fine with Slater being in a slump. I need him to put up more than five shots a game. And I know I that you need him too. Yes. I, I strongly believe that this team will get better when Slater gets more confident in taking shots. But I also am not expecting 15 from Slater. I'm not expecting more to put the team on his back from a scoring output. You're right. It comes down to Samuels and Gillespie. And right now these guys aren't living up to it. And for Samuels, I, I, I've, I've said it at nauseum. It's just, there has to be less reliance on the shot. There has mm-hmm. to be more driving to the basket. And I, I almost wish that he could hear what people think about <laughs> his driving ability because we're all so confident in it. And every game, it just seems to disappear more and more. Yeah, and I, I do think Justin Moore has the ability to take over games and scoring-wise when, when they're looking at from Gillespie. It just it clearly sure. didn't happen on Friday night. I'm interested what you think about this. Uh, Jermaine Samuels only played 27 minutes on Friday yeah. night, which just in comparison to just the last game against Baylor, he played 37. D- do you think that's a little bit of Jay realizing that, that Samuels has been struggling and trying to try a couple different things? I, we haven't even referenced him mm. yet, but Brian Antoine picked up six minutes. I'm hoping that those that minute output continues to grow. Or do you think that was just more circumstances of how things turned out down the stretch? I, I'm going to lean with the latter for now mm-hmm. because I actually think... Jermaine I think we need really, to see more of a sample size. I agree. Yeah, and I really think Jermaine struggled on defense. How many times did Nemhard blow by him on Friday night? It was, mm-hmm. it was nauseating. And I don't think he's had that bad of a defensive performance all year long. Usually we're lauding him for his defense and how he's able to come to... Um, keep up with these really quick guards and he couldn't do anything against Nemhard and not many players could not many defensive players could, but I would be absolutely shocked if that's what Jay Wright was thinking. When has he ever shown anything less than full 100? That's why I was surprised because it's a big difference than what we we usually see from him. Um, I mean, Caleb had 23. Yeah. It's, it's interesting when you look at the boss score, even Dixon had 24. I feel like that's, that's about a little for Dixon. Or yeah, maybe a there. little more than he usually does. Mm-hmm. But I mean, he, Jermaine was two for nine. I don't know if he's made more than three field goals in the last four games. Yeah, especially like I know I read off wise. the stats last week. Yeah, <laughs> no, you're good. Yeah, recently wise, as we talk about and as we reference Villanova scoring under 60, um, things have definitely been tougher, even for Colin. I, I do want to point out for the season, I think Colin's been pretty good. He's still shooting at basically his normal for field goal percentage, and he's this is his career high for three point percentage. But to your point, since the Syracuse game, shooting 35%, 29%, and 36%. So, yeah, of course, been, been down quickly, recently. Quickly on Colin, too. Mm-hmm. I know that I'm being harsh and I guess this is my bad and maybe the pressure that he's dealing with, but I had just thought of him going into this year as 
the best point guard in the country, one of the best scorers in the country, and one of the few players in all of college basketball who could take a game in their own hands and change it. Sure. And I just haven't seen that from him in the games that really, really matter. I, mm-hmm. I mean, what were the games where he was incredible? St. Joe's, Penn, UCLA, he was good in the second half. But he he hasn't so far taken an opponent and just demolished them. And then yep. you see him be demolished by Creighton. And I'm I'm not starting to lose confidence because we know what his ceiling is and also mm-hmm. what his floor is. I've been so into that recently, thinking about floors and <laughs> talking about panic meters and still thinking about how high the floor is of this Villanova team. But that's a different mm-hmm. discussion. The bottom line is that, yes, he's putting up good numbers. Yes, his numbers might be fine. But we know that we can expect more from Gillespie because that's just how high of a caliber player he is. And I want to see that. Yes, no, I agree. I still have the utmost confidence in him that I I think things can can work out. I think he has probably taken the offensive struggles more upon himself because he realizes all of his teammates are struggling. So we're seeing a ton of those like step back side to side, either mid-range or threes from him. And that's probably affected the shooting percentage a little bit. I really do think that's probably a portion of him just feeling a lot of pressure because no one else is stepping up at the moment. Um, but obviously that's part of our bigger problem right now and finding that consistent other option. Totally. And, and at the, I mean, at this point, if Jermaine's going to miss seven or eight shots a game, what else is Colin going to do? He yeah. has to take those shots. So I totally mm-hmm. understand it. I think that's a fair point to point it out. It just goes back to the issue of where are they going to find scoring? They cannot mm-hmm. have this low of an output for any longer. I I agree. And I think a big portion of why the offense has been challenged, and this is going to lead into a question, actually, we get in our mailbag later. So I'm apologies for spoiling it now is that the movement has been so poor. I mean, Mm -hmm. I, I just, I think to the start of the season and how much did we refer to, wow, you know, getting inside with the back down and then weak side three or, or, or kicking back out, finding the open man. It, it was inside out. Everything now is outside out. They are not able to get any sort of penetration and kick across. And I think it's really effective. And you saw it in, in clear as day on Friday night where the team finished with four assists, which assists are not always fair to completely justify, you know, an offensive performance or how a team is looking out there. But on Friday night, I certainly think it was because the movement just wasn't there. And I think that's one of the most frustrating things as this offense has gone into a slump is that we're not seeing the backdoor cuts. We're not seeing the back down weak side um, kickouts. We're just, we're not seeing uh, a bunch of different, you know, movement towards the basket and, and screens off the ball and things like that. It just, it feels like things are too static right now. And and, and I think that's leading into a, a lot of issues for Villanova. Yeah, that's a really good point. And it's funny you said that about the assist because you're, you're right, that that can't be the, be all the holistic approach. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But honestly, for Villanova, it usually is because <laughs> if Villanova only has four assists, it means there isn't any ball movement. And I'll stick, I'll stick to my guns. And Brendan Riley, I would love to go back and forth with you about this, but there isn't enough pure shooting on this team to only have four assists. I, I really am going to stick by that, especially with the shooting woes that people have been experiencing lately. There's no reason to not have this few passes it just doesn't make sense to me there's no reason to not try and at least penetrate a little bit and get those kickouts it's not like Creighton was this clamping of a defense like we saw with Baylor that's what what kind of stinks because Baylor is such a different beast it's so hard to talk about these two teams yes they happen back to back but 
Baylor was the better team. I think mm-hmm. Villanova is a better team than Creighton. I, I'm sure most people agree with me. Yeah, they made Creighton look like such a better defense than they really were. I was disheartened by Baylor just because of the performance, but understanding how good they were. Right. I was really angry with, with right. the Creighton performance right. because right. To, to your point, they made Creighton look better than they are. Creighton's an, an all right team this year. You know, clearly we saw they've got some young talent. Ryan Hawkins is an impact transfer and he lit up Villanova. Cockbrunner uh, really abused his size down low. So it, Creighton's got some pieces on them. This is not the vintage Creighton teams, as we no. talked about kind of in our preview. So losing by 20 and scoring 59 against them. No, I can't accept that. I feel the same way. And it's, it's interesting because you and I would talk about this on, did you hear all the time in the NFL? Good balanced NFL teams or good teams have a very good balance between the run play and the pass play. Mm-hmm. And when you establish the run game in the NFL, it gives your pass game more freedom because Shout you don't have to Colts. Yeah. You don't have <laughs> to be reliant on the deep pass. It almost seems like Villanova starts this game and feels like they're immediately in a hole. So they immediately have to start putting up threes, even if they're bad looks, even mm. if there are 20 seconds left in the shot clock and they haven't even made a pass yet. Their first look will always be to catch and make the three. And I get that that's been the play call in the past, but you cannot have this many bad shooting games and continue to stick with it. I, I there's, there's no reason to immediately fall back on the three without even trying to push the interior mm-hmm. game. Do you agree with that? I, I Yes and no. Like I said, I, I think this is a three-point shooting team at heart, and I think it's yeah. going to stay that way. So I still think we're going to see when you know Xavier comes to down on Tuesday night. I bet you we see a ton of threes go up, especially with their size, as we'll talk about uh, yeah. in a little bit. So, but I want them to be more aggressive. Absolutely. I want them to try some yeah. more things and try to get inside. So is it more just you think one of these days their fortune is just is just going to turn around? One of these days the shots are just going to start to fall, and right now they're all just in a slump, and it just so happens to be happening at the same time? Uh, not fully that, because I do align to your point that there's not the pure three-point shooting. I, I think Colin Gillespie obviously is an assassin from deep. I think Justin Moore is a very good three-point shooter. Slater, we've seen the flashes of Samuels' flashes. It's not enough consistency out there, and there's no one off the bench that you're going to feel really confident is going to come in to to knock threes down. So I I agree with your point that you've made previously that it is not as pure shooting of a team. So with that in mind, I think you have to look at some other options. Yeah. I'm going to run another question by you too. Uh Uh-oh. And this is just off the top of my head, looking at the schedule and wondering when this is going to turn around. (laughs) Do you, do you think, what, what, what an amazing intro to that question. Um, Do you think anything needs to go into Villanova playing up or playing down to its opponents? Because they obviously get blown out by Creighton an embarrassing 20 point loss. They have Xavier coming up with, Colby Jones and Paul really Scruggs. good team really good Jack team Nunji, who's one of the best transfers in the country Zach mm-hmm. Fremantle then you get Temple which I will kind of ignore in this situation no offense to Temple or Temple just keeping up with the biggies then you've got Hall with that's Obiagu right he's still mm-hmm. there Jared Roden then you've got Creighton again then you've got Xavier then you've got Shaka Smart's defense then you've excuse got excuse me St. you John's. skipped over DePaul uh, between <laughs> Creighton and Xavier how dare you I knew you were gonna do yeah, that please all right fine I'll say Fre- Freeman Liberty or Liberty Freeman at this point I just it's a mental block for me I can't even remember July 4th but, that's what we're going with so when 
is Jermaine going to step up and get out of this slump and really stick it to his opponents? Because Xavier's a really tough test. I didn't know you were going to go really tough test. Well, that's, that's harsh, but just the team in general, like, yeah. When are Slater and Samuels going to start driving? Because you would think that they would do it to the opponents that struggle with size or struggle with offense or defense. And it doesn't seem like there's mm-hmm. any sort of theme. There is no easy game on the schedule. Let's put that yeah. clear. Like the first one, yes, is, is Temple. And then you would expect Butler and Georgetown are not going to be great. So those are your Big East games that you would You're look literally at. not going to put DePaul in that category. Not right now. Not oh not as God. of yet. We'll just <laughs> oh wait until God. they beat Seton Hall on Thursday night. I'm I'm kidding. I'm oh, kidding. Man. Um that's so funny. So I, I my answer to that is let's see it on Tuesday night. Yeah. They've got Xavier coming into the Finneran Pavilion. That's the interesting thing about this Villanova team that I actually don't think we've discussed too often. They've played three home games this yeah, year. All these road losses. Kind of yeah. wild to think about because so many teams, so many of the upper echelon teams, you know, stack their schedules at home and they never leave, uh, mm-hmm. especially at the start of the season. Villanova has been the exact opposite between neutral site games and away games. So they have barely played at home. You've got a really good opponent coming in. You've got everyone now ripping you to shreds. As we're just talking about how ineffective they can go out there on Tuesday night and freaking show me something against a good Xavier team. That, that's my response to that. I really like that. This is exactly the time when they need to get some of that momentum back. That momentum that Rob from the full 40 was talking about. This is he it. called it, by the way. I know he's, he was, he was he's the, the only one that called the, the only win. one out of the four of us. Yeah. I'd be curious yeah. to know if anybody who submitted a survey picked Creighton because that question. would have been an interest, an interesting pick, but also a good one. It, yeah. It that's a really been. good point. No home losses, obviously, but they've got a big test on Tuesday. Yeah. And then I've got one more offensive point. We can shift to the defense here. Uh, It's been talked about all season, so we don't need to focus on it too much, but again, such little impact from the bench. Yes. Brian Antoine Mm -hmm. came in, but just six points coming off your bench, all of them from Caleb Daniels for comparison, Creighton put up 22 from their bench. And I know we talk about trying to get the minutes, right. You know, we've really focused on just getting guys rested more so even than making an impact. But it is a little bit of a struggle when you just there's not a lot of bite coming from the guys off the bench. And yes, Brian Antoine's a guy that has the potential to add some bite there. But as we've discussed, I feel like a billion times just in two months, you know, how much can you truly expect there? Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. And actually, to give some credit to Creighton, their bench was really impressive. Oh, it was great. Yeah. Trey Alexander was really good. And Tony was really good. I was not the step back threes that. from him. Yeah. I wasn't yeah, ready that, for that. He, he was nasty. So that was much more than I expected from those guys. I mean, they got 30 minutes from Alexander and 20 from Androni Kashvili. So that's tough to replicate, but I mean, I, I completely agree with your, with your point. It's just a perpetual question that we continue to Every ask how game. far. How far can this team go with the bench that they currently have? I, I guess that just quickly before we talk about defense, do you have any other points about Brian Antoine? I don't think we can make too many. I, what, what what can you say? I thought he looked quick. I thought he looked versatile. The offensive game isn't there yet. Mm-hmm. It's going to take a while for him to get back up to game speed. Those are my biggest takeaways. My takeaway was that he stepped on the floor. And I think that's yeah. big. Like I, I think we can kind of leave it at that for his first game back. I believe he's now been in practice for two weeks, uh, if I'm quoting that correctly. Um, so just the fact he was out there and also that Jay did play him. I want to say it was six minutes, if I'm remembering correctly. You know, for uh, someone that hasn't played his bench a, a ton, 
six minutes for someone that just returned to practice is actually a good sign. I think for Brian Antoine, as activity continues to ramp up that he could actually log some, some legitimate minutes. I'm going to say something that's just going to ignite the crowd. The oh, podcast no. Be is very careful to set on fire. When I say this, if he's trusting Brian Antoine to play six minutes and obviously six minutes, it's nothing crazy, but I go back and I feel the same way about Demir Cosby Rancher. It's minutes in meaningful games pretty soon off the bench. Demir Cosby Rancher was the sixth man at one point off the bench. Brian Antoine I didn't think came he in great on Friday no, night, Demir, unfortunately. I didn't either, but just the idea of, of getting the playing time mm-hmm. after injuries for both Cosby Rancher and Brian Antoine. There is a level of trust there from Jay Wright. The difference between them and the freshmen is that they have time in the system. Oh, definitely. So I will just say this for emphasis. We are missing something. We are not seeing what Jay Wright is seeing because if he trusts Brian Antoine to play six minutes, Brian Antoine that has not seen any minutes in any game who's been practicing, we don't even know if it's been at full speed. We barely know anything about the injury and conditioning, all of that. If he's trusting Brian Antoine to play six minutes and he's not trusting Jordan Longino to play more than one, then there is obviously something missing. And honestly, I'm just, I'm kind of sick of talking about it. I think that, <laughs> should prove, that should prove that we do not have a say in this because if he's putting Brian Antoine out there, that means he trusts him. So we can't be talking about this lack of trust. What is Jay Wright doing? There's obviously something there. Yeah, I, th- I think he trusts. I mean, I, th- I think he trusts Brian. So I, I do think he's yeah. going to be out there just with all the years that he's spent in this, you know, in the program, though he hasn't been on the floor very often. And then I'll, I'll just add in my, uh, it has to go in at this time, play, play Jordan Longino, please. Um, but that's all we need to talk about. <laughs> I get it. I get it. I just wanted to say that about the trust I, point. No, I understand. You want to talk some yeah. quick points on defense before we get into Xavier? Yeah, I'll, I'm going to start out with rebounding. And I actually that's found fair. something yeah, I got that too. very interesting. So they were out-rebounded by... Mm-hmm by in this game uh i'm sorry 12 i believe right 41 okay yeah thank you so 12 12 against creighton seven against baylor 12 against purdue and 12 against ucla oh that number pops up a couple times (laughs) isn't that weird so it's generally the out rebounding point they've been out rebounded by more than seven in every single loss and then it's just pure coincidence that it's been 12 in every Mm. other game and in their wins Tennessee was a good win. Syracuse was a good win. They significantly they cru- crushed the glass, right? Yeah, I feel like so, I remember that. So when these losses, you're going up against some really high caliber offenses like the Purdue front court, like Baylor's front court, Kalkbrenner on Creighton. But I just think it's something to monitor. We know that Villanova can rebound and we mm-hmm. know that they can show some prowess on that end. And we see it on, on the offensive glass in almost every single game. They have the advantage. But maybe it's an intensity point. Maybe when this team just doesn't bring it on the glass like they did against Tennessee and Syracuse, they're just in a little bit of a rut because now we can see these really blatant theme about rebounding and every single time they've lost, it's because they haven't rebounded well. Yeah, I I think a part of it is just the talent to the teams they've gone up against rebounding and especially the size because that's where they will get exploited. And we saw it, you know, with with Miles Johnson and UCLA, of course, with Purdue and the two big men they throw out there, Cockbrenner and Hawkins destroyed them on the glass here on Friday night. So I, I think... Villanova is a good rebounding team for their size that has to be thrown in there because Jermaine Samuels is a very good rebounder. Eric Dixon does what it takes. The Villanova guards are solid rebounding guards. 
Justin Moore finished with zero, which is actually very surprising because he's usually a pretty good he's rebounder. Yeah, he, yeah. He's, he's a very solid rebounder. So I, I think they're always going to go struggle against the really bigger teams. But when they play teams that are more sized their way, I expect Villanova to win it because they do have, they are able to rebound in, in that way where they can make up for it quite simply is made shots. And uh, that hasn't happened, <laughs> especially recently. Good disclaimer. It's much more apparent when they're scoring less than 60 points a game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, I guess that just goes into my second point too, which is I just didn't feel like there was enough help defense against a guy like Kyle Brenner. Oh, I, I had that down. And you mentioned that at the beginning. And I mm-hmm. thought uh, uh, last week about how you really expected that, especially because it didn't happen. Period. It's they're not a good three point shooting team. So you would think that collapsing in the paint and forcing them to take threes would be what Villanova wanted. And of course the tables were completely turned, but. Oh, you yes. set me up perfectly. Oh, yeah. I, I'll, I'll give it to you in a second. I just, yeah. this point about rebounding. I get what you're saying about the personnel matchups are just hard. Kalkbrenner is just a tough matchup, but they've done it before. They mm-hmm. did it against Tennessee. Why not? Yeah, Tennessee's throw- a big team. Slater and Samuels on him because both those guys can be really physical. I just didn't understand why there wasn't more help against a big man like him. I, I completely agree. And as I said, I, you have gone perfectly into stuff that Take I have ready for. No, no, it, it's more, it's similar to what you had said. So yeah, I, I completely expected to see a lot more double teams here from Villanova to try to help out, especially in the paint where Creighton scored 42 points in the paint and if you're looking for you know a quick little comparison there uh, Villanova scored 36 against Baylor in total on uh, just a week ago so that's how many points Creighton was able to rack up in the paint so I of course expected to see more double teams try and help out Villanova very very rarely if at all brought the double and a lot of that was because exactly as you said Creighton punished them from deep and I'm actually concerned by that because they shot eight percent better than their season average from deep against Villanova. Mm. They shot 39% from three when they are a really poor team that usually shoots at 31 or 30%, which is just not, they're not making much of an impact there. So Nova got lit up from beyond the arc. Now you can say some of that is being unlucky, which I understand, but some of it also is because we saw this again, and this isn't even the fastest paced Creighton team, as we've discussed before. This is not your Mo Watson, Justin Patton, Marcus Foster Creighton, but Creighton definitely upped the pace and and ran fast. And it felt like Villanova often was not set on defense and and was often chasing Creighton players around the perimeter and and Creighton made him pay there. And I think that is incredibly concerning. Yeah, that's a really good point. Watching the offense struggle the way it has in the past two games is just mind numbingly weird and painful to watch. Mm -hmm. I'm genuinely disappointed in the defense. I think that's a fair way to look at it. In the way that Villanova's defense played against Creighton, because they're better than that, and their Ken Palm rating suffered. They moved from oh, twenty-one way to forty, down, right? Yeah, yeah, and it's just disappointing to see that because it opened up all these wounds that I thought we had closed over the course <laughs> Me of. Me too. Years. I didn't need those wounds. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and I, I mean, I think the full forty guys on Twitter were saying this. They looked like they were stuck in mud when they were yeah. trying to guard the three-point. And honestly. As crazy as that 42 is in terms of points in the paint for Creighton, mm-hmm. and when you put it in perspective and think about Nova's 36 points, that's crazy. I'm sorry, I but, shouldn't have done that, but it had to be no, done. No, but it, it's, a, it's a crazy way to think about it and just how low that offensive output was. But anyways, we knew we expected that. So yes, Creighton's fine. an interior team this year. Exactly. But if you're able to limit them from the three-point line, things look much better, and they just couldn't do that. They Not couldn't do all. it at all. 
No, they were chasing shadows uh, to, to your exact point. I, I'm, I am concerned about, we know this Villanova team plays slow. There's nothing wrong with playing slow and trying to dictate the tempo in that way. But when teams are going to try and enforce things up on you and force the tempo on you, it's why we talked about before that we don't see too much of that, you know, one, two, uh, one, two, one, one zone uh, much from Villanova because they're, they were getting beaten transition a lot. So they've, we've seen them come back and try to be set up on defense. They tried that on Friday without the press and still got beat going back a ton. And that, yeah. that, that I can't accept that that cannot happen. I'm really curious if Antoine's return will bring back the press. And if he, if having him in there just adds a little extra versatility that we might have. It adds some athleticism. Right. It, yeah, it, exactly. And that's, that's obviously it was lacking on Friday. And yes, it was that transition D another thing. Villanova gets such an advantage from forcing turnovers and exploiting mm. them. Creighton had 14 turnovers. If I had to guess, I would have thought that Villanova's offense forced or Villanova's defense forced like seven. And then when <laughs> I saw it was 14, I was surprised because it didn't feel like they made anything out of that. Oh my God. And that's look one at of you the go. biggest things about their defense. You are setting me up. So be- I swear we didn't discuss this beforehand. <laughs> this was literally my next point was that Villanova, as you said, forced 14, 14 turnovers they scored 13 points off of them. Oh, that's so that's not enough. You have to punish this Creighton team that turns the ball over a ton and make them pay for all the poor decisions they made. And they had less points than turnovers coming from it. And uh, again, I think that sums up the offensive output for it, but that has to be better. You have to make them pay for turning the ball over 14 times. I think Villanova only turned it over six uh, yep. in this game. So they did a great job of holding on to the ball, but when you're going to give it away, you got to punish the other team and they didn't. Yep. It, it's all coming back. Your emotions are so clearly I got now. wound up there. Cause I heard my voice go up like 10 octaves right there. <laughs> so I'm winding myself up as we talk through this. No, it's that is their weakness and their, no, that is their strength and their weakness is transition D and they both mm-hmm. looked like weaknesses on Friday against Creighton. They did. Um, I have one more point that's kind of more of an ar- overarching point if if you want to go into that, unless you had more Creighton defensive stuff. No, that was actually all I had. Go okay. Ahead. All right. So this is a little exercise that I did because I was just interested. Um, so Creighton outscored Villanova 23 to nine in the final 10 minutes of the game. And I, I thought it would be interesting to go back and look at the final 10 minutes from every single game this season. Cause I think we've discussed, you know, where, where Villanova struggled at times. And so, as I said, they were outscored by 14 in the final 10 minutes against Creighton Baylor outscored them by three, but we know that game was just, it was very over at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, they outscored Syracuse by 10 St. Joe's by seven Penn by four LaSalle by one. So there's your positives. Uh, Purdue was a minor is one, a positive in that I, game. Oh, I'm going to discuss. Oh, don't worry. That's all my points. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Purdue was a minus 14 and they got, they allowed 37 points. Tennessee was minus four. Howard was plus four. UCLA was minus seven in, in the final 10 minutes and minus nine in overtime. And then finally Mount St. Mary's is plus 16. So you add all those numbers together. And exactly to your point is that in the final 10 minutes, even when they've outscored teams and they've only outscored teams that have been much inferior to them. And I consider Syracuse that take that Bayheim. Um, they're not blowing them away. St. Joe's plus seven, Penn plus four, LaSalle plus one. And you may say, oh, well, wait, but the game, most of those games were blowouts. So of course, you know, they're not playing the same. We're referring to Jay Wright here, who does not pull his starters and will only put, you know, the freshman with a minute or two left in the game. So mind you, the starters are still playing for, I don't know, 80% of those final 10 minutes. 
Are, are you concerned by those numbers? No, oh, that's incredible. First of all, very, very good research. That's Thank great. you. I appreciate that. I'm highly concerned. And this was actually going to be my final point. They trailed by two against Creighton with eight and a half minutes left. Oh, yeah. And they missed their last 12 shots. Villanova can't close. They can't it's close. become a theme. It's become a theme. Yeah. It, it, it started where oh, I'm not that concerned. Yeah, it's come up. I think it's tired legs and all that things. Mm-hmm. But when you look at the full sample size for the season, and like I said, include the teams that are inferior to them, you know, in the, the St. Joe's, the Penn, LaSalle, they're not blowing them away in the final 10 no. minutes. They've only blown away Mount St. Mary's. I was going to say, actually, probably the most encouraging numbers that you said was maybe Howard. Because that game was so close for so Plus long, four and it kind Howard. of pulled away. Yeah, <laughs> pulled away by four. Oh my god! No, that I was actually gonna. So I'll kind of add a question on here. We have been so frustrated by the fact that Villanova has blown late leads. Mm-hmm. They do you consider? I mean, trailing by two with eight and a half minutes left, you can kind of throw that in the same category. And they lost by twenty. Yeah. I so would you yep. rather a loss? in the way that we lost to Purdue or UCLA, or would you rather a loss like this where they just, the wheels fell off? You could talk about tired legs. Mm-hmm. You could talk about overtime, the whole shebang. This was worse. This no, was I, I think you're right. A complete untooling of everything on the court. They scored nine points in the final 10 minutes. Yeah, it's just, it has become enough of a theme that I thought it was fair to bring up. Cause I've been kind of monitoring this throughout the season, but we've gotten mm-hmm. deep enough into it now where I feel like, all right, let's, let's bring this up. So. That's for the listeners to decide as well. Do we have a final 10-minute problem? I think we might, but of course, more sample size required. Um, but it, the, the the results so far are not promising. It's a really, really good point. I'm really curious to hear what people think. Maybe yeah, we'll let us know. This, yeah, we'll kind of put it out as a, as a poll type of thing. And it doesn't get easier because we've mentioned before, I truly think every single Big East game on the slate can be mm-hmm. a one or two possession game because yeah. these guys just bring it and. Villanova has a target on its back, no matter what. Oh, certainly. Whatever their um, um, record might be. Sorry, I kept forgetting that word. No matter where, what ranking they have, Villanova has a target on its back, which means even the lowly teams are trying to run it and take it to Villanova. doesn't matter mm-hmm. how many losses this team accrues. Villanova has a target. So all these teams are going to be bringing their A game. And Creighton showed us if Villanova doesn't, it can turn into a 20 point loss in the road. That's just unbelievable. Yeah. As I sigh. Yeah, you <laughs> definitely. <laughs> but as you bring up dog fights in the big East, want to move into Xavier in our next one? Yes, I would love to. So, all right. I mean, yeah. I mean, the tests just keep coming. The yeah. tests keep coming. Yeah. So I'll, I'll set it up here. Xavier coming into the Finneran pavilion on Tuesday night. As we drop this, interestingly enough, This is Villanova's first matchup with X since February 22nd of 2020 due to COVID um, things, obviously, that happened last season, which was a 64 to 55 win for Nova, where their leading scorer was cries a little bit Sadiq Bey, um, because God, this team could use a Sadiq Bay right now. Um, It's so sad, Pat. I know, it really is. I'm like, should I say this? Uh, I'll go for it. Um, Quickly on Xavier, and then I'll just throw it straight over to you. Straight up, just a really good basketball team. I mean, they've got five top 75 Ken Palm wins already with wins over Cincinnati, Marquette, Ohio State, Oklahoma State, and Virginia Tech. Their one loss this season coming to Iowa State. And before I go any further, how do you want to look at it? Yeah, and that's not a bad loss at all. No, I no, no. It's a really good team. 
Yeah, I will start it by saying I have been severely wrong about Javier. I don't know what it was. I thought they were overrated. It was your boy, Maybe Travis Steele, the- too. I know, and I love him. I, I think <laughs> I've said this before, but Travis Steele was so, so, so nice to me at Big East Media Day. So I have a very soft spot for him now. I want Xavier to win. Man, I'll, I'll go as far as to say Not that. This game, so Not great. this game, though. Not this game, though. Not this game. I don't Let's know clarify. what it was, though. I just... Maybe it wasn't seeing Zach Fremantle. Maybe it was because they've had talent for so long and they haven't been able to put it all together. Pat, this year they're putting it together. Oh, they're putting it together. <laughs> they, if I have to put it down to three keys, I guess I'll go into this. It's they have so many scores. Yep. They do not have a secondary or tertiary scoring problem. Any given guy can have a night. It was Odom against Marquette. I mean, a mm-hmm. guy that I would not even have mentioned coming into this yep. preview. It's been the Jack Nunji show. Yep. And they also have so many players off the bench. So the big thing is that they just have so many legs. They have so many scores. They have so many ways to score and they just kind of come at you from every single angle. They're scary. They're scary. <laughs> you talk about Jack Nunji and, and this will strike Villanova fans as we just talked about this earlier. He's their second leading scorer. He doesn't start for them. He comes yeah. off the bench and he is their second leader. Like Trevion scorer. Williams. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's crazy. Iowa transfer, as you referenced before, another big man clocking in at 6'11 for Xavier too. As you look at them, Paul Scruggs is still there. He is their version of Colin Gillespie, you know, a fifth mm. year player for them, 130 games played. And then Zach Fremantle, obviously one of the better players in the Big East, still working his way back to that all Big East player that he was from a year ago. He made his season debut on December 1st. And then his last time out there against Marquette, he had his most minutes with 27. So he, he's certainly still ramping up. Uh, the problem is we might be now starting to see him as he gets more back to normal. And Fremantle yeah. is obviously a monster. And again, another guy with size on the interior that can also step out and shoot a little bit. Yeah, it's interesting. I was actually going to ask you, and I don't know if you have their roster up, otherwise I, I won't ask you it. Okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll ask you this. Do you think Xavier's big? Ooh, do I think Xavier's big? I, yes and no, and that the two that they rely on the most in in Nunge and Fremantle are are six nine and six eleven. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Kobe Jones is six five. Nate Johnson six four. Scruggs six four. Kunkel six four. So it's they're not massive by any means. Um, but I think Nunge and, and Fremantle have the opportunity to to make things pretty uncomfortable for Villanova. Yeah, that's kind of how I felt too. Yeah, you've got another guy, Deontay Miles, gets decent amount of minutes. He's six eleven. Fair. Yeah. Otherwise, they they've got some long forward guard. It's more like wing type is how I would look. Yeah. Guard wing. Yeah. I just thought that was kind of an interesting thing because I went in thinking, oh yeah, this team's big. They're gonna pound it down low. I'm not sure that's going to be their game plan, and and it really hasn't been. There. It's been their shooting that has carried them, and mm-hmm. Nunji has turned into this scoring machine that. He wasn't even at with Iowa and he was a really good player at Iowa. Yeah, no, you're certainly right. I I think you spotlighted some, some good things with Xavier. What scares you with Xavier is we just talked about tempo and Creighton. Mm. Xavier runs much, this version of Xavier runs much faster than Creighton often runs, which I think can definitely give you a little bit of pause from how we've seen Villanova play against some of these faster teams. And, and this version of the Musketeers is definitely quicker than ones we've seen in the past. I mean, just in terms of efficiency, they're very, very solid. They're 24th in offense and 31st in defense. So you talk about great teams being balanced. 
This is one heck of a balanced team. Uh, they're not great from three, but they're good enough that they can have a threat. A bunch of athletes, as you say, kind of with the, the guard wings. I love Colby Jones, and he's a ton mm. of fun to watch. And, and I, I think he's a complete stud. This is a really good Xavier team. That's the yeah. simplest way to put it. Yeah, I love Scruggs too. I think he's going to lead the Big East in assists. Going on what we talked about with Nova with assists. So that'll be interesting too. This is a tournament team. This is better it's than a tournament, tournament team. team. For sure. This is a, a legit contender. Uh, maybe their one weakness, and we said this about Creighton too, so I don't really want to jinx it. They went 21 for 30 from 21 for 35 from the free throw line against Marquette. Mm. So we anticipated maybe some foul issues trying to force Creighton to the line. That didn't really happen. It wasn't an issue. Maybe Nova tries to do the same thing because they don't have a ton of really great free throw shooters. Otherwise, they don't have a lot of other weaknesses. Yeah. The biggest no. thing here is that it's a road game for them. And Villanova's coming exactly. off of an embarrassing loss, and they're not going to want to drop on it. Two embarrassing losses. True. Um, true. Thank no, you. Yeah. I, I agree. This is Xavier's best team since 2018 with Trayvon Blue and JP McCure. Mm. It's this is a really, really good team. But as you said, Villanova is finally at home, obviously coming off two brutal losses. Xavier is on a, a nice winning streak here. Uh, this is going to be a good game on Tuesday night. And it's one I'm definitely excited to watch. And again, it, it gives, we talk, you know, all about Villanova and, and struggling here and, you know, the loss to Creighton, what the biggies does per- give them as we talk about how difficult every game is, is the chance to rack up a ton of quality wins and quality wins yeah. quickly as well. And a win over Xavier here would be a very quality win to pick up. That's a really good point because there was all this, hullabaloo and i can't believe i actually said that word but it's true i know i don't know where it came from to be honest with you but that villanova's best win was against a tennessee team and because it was the worst game in the history of college basketball people didn't put much merit no that was tennessee texas tech exactly (laughs) but tennessee (laughs) stone tough tough rap for tennessee but anyways (laughs) my thought what everybody was saying that is nova could be xavier Seton Hall, UConn, hell, Providence at this point, mm. throw a few road wins on there. And that's still You're a feeling pretty good, good record. Yeah. That's a good net ranking. I get yep. the idea of wanting to have one true marquee road non-conference win, but I think that's an excellent point. They can still raise themselves, raise the ceiling mm-hmm. just by beating Big East teams, which they would probably do anyway. You hope so, because it's going to be super competitive. But as I said, they've got a chance to pick up some really good wins. And quickly, as you go through, you know, the schedule with the amount of solid teams they have to play up front in their Big East schedule, uh, it it starts right away. I love that point. Very positive. I try to be about the Big East. Yeah, I'm trying a little bit. And then for Nova's key, they just they have to create more resistance inside. They cannot let Xavier just have their way like Creighton was able to on their way to 42 pain points. And it's going to it's gonna be like this every single game, it feels like, but another test for Eric Dixon, how he's going to play against Nunji, how he's going to play against Fremantle. It's just test after test for him to see how he can stack up and whether that bully ball really comes out. Mm-hmm. And then since we are not dropping any episodes until after the Temple game, do you have anything quick on Temple? Yeah, so uh, we actually, I meant to do some housekeeping at the beginning. So we will be recording this episode that comes out on Tuesday. That will be it for this week. And then that next week we will be recording a temple recap that'll drop on Thursday. So just during this holiday time, we're going to scale back just a bit. And then we will be back in full force the week after the new year, the first week of the new year. And that's when the schedule really 
gets into it too. It, it definitely bodes well for us taking some time off because Villanova has eight days off. But back mm-hmm. to Temple, I actually wrote down some of their notable notable games because I think it's kind of funny. They lost to USC and Clemson. Those were their two big non-conference games. They only lost to USC by six points, which is pretty remarkable given mm-hmm. how good USC looks right now. They also, in the Big Five, they have wins over LaSalle and Penn, but they lost to St. Joe's, and their game against Drexel was postponed. The, the biggest key for me is that they lost their leading scorer, Khalif Battle, season-ending foot injury in early yeah, December. Yeah, for him. Since then, I, I don't, I'm sorry to steal all the thunder, but this is no. just too insane. Against St. John's, they shot two for 20 from three. And then against UCF, which is their last loss, three for 30 on threes. They just cannot, they do not have an offense right now. It is just, (laughs) there is nothing there. 10% both of those games. Oh my gosh. No, it's funny you say that because that's kind of exactly where I went with it. Temple much slower than what Villanova is going to face in, in terms of, of pace of play and, and tempo and all those things. And they are not a good three point shooting team at all, as you yeah. just kind of summed up there. So uh, even if things go wrong on Tuesday night, as you listen to this uh, temple game should be, as they like to call in the NFL, a get right game <laughs> for, <laughs> for Villanova to try and try and work out some kinks and get back to normal before heading into Seton Hall. I mean, I hate to give bad karma here, but there haven't been a lot of get right games in the NFL. We've seen some weird ones. The I can give you uh, anytime Jets, a team plays the, the New Jaguars. York Giants. Um, True. That's a get right game. So uh, sorry about Daniel Jones, by the way. Just give Tough. me Jake. Actually, I don't even know. if Is that a good thing? Yeah. No, I because I if it forces me to watch any more of Mike Glennon, it's a bad thing. <laughs> so <laughs> All right, there's, a, there's another time and place for that conversation. There is, there is. We don't have to have it now. <laughs> no, I agree with you. And honestly, I will be very curious to see, especially given that it's over a week away. Mm-hmm. Could Brian Antoine rack up some minutes? Hello. Maybe we I see like some that. extended Jordan Longino. It doesn't seem like we Whoa, can put ourselves there. through the pain of asking that anymore, but you would think that that would be literally maybe the only time for the rest of the season. You would think. Um, so we'll see. And then you want to hit anything around the biggies really quick. I know we've got a lot of questions and we're going a little longer than we thought. Yeah, we have some awesome questions. So literally I, I didn't get to watch the Providence and UConn game, which was so unfortunate, but can Mm -hmm. you please talk about that and how good that game was? It was just phenomenal to see Providence get the win at UConn. I I was able to watch it. I wasn't fully locked in on it because I was at my family Christmas party at the time, but, uh, just to see Providence kind of hold on at the end and UConn did make it very close down the stretch, Mm -hmm. but to to start off big East play with the Huskies, a team that we really talked up, especially on our our holiday crossover dropping at home to Providence. Again, I think that further goes into this conference is just going to be a boxing match. Every single game you go out there for, and UConn got it too. It's not just Villanova. Yes. They only lost by four and Villanova lost by 20, but this is, it's going to be so good to watch every game. (laughs) That's a really good point. I didn't even think about that. Both mm-hmm. the one and two seed in the conference, basically. Oh, and one. Oh, dad. And that's it. It's a little misleading because as we wake up on Monday, Providence is ranked higher than Villanova. And I think yes. that's great for the school. My mom has just been giving me such a hard time. I literally, sure. I took a screenshot of the AP poll and I sent it in our family group chat. And my mom said, I want you to frame this. For oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> so I will not be ever outgrowing that. But nope. Providence is a better team than Creighton. Providence can put up a fight. I mean, they they just they seem to check every single box, and I love watching Ed Cooley win. So I was so happy with that. I do love me some Ed Cooley. So yeah. always, always good. 
to see that. And then we'll see what games take place this week because the conference is struggling with COVID issues, but really holding out hope for Seton Hall to Paul on Thursday yeah. just so we can get the uh, the clash of the Titans there um, and, yeah. and, and see what happens. We were talking before we recorded about how, how much of a bummer it is that we didn't get the game on Monday, St. John, Seton Hall, mm-hmm. DePaul Creighton was postponed or I don't even postpone isn't even the right word, right? Yeah, so Creighton's two canceled. Yeah. There's a different policy this year with the COVID game. So hopefully these teams can just get the cases under control and nobody else deals with any issues because we do not want a repeat of last year at all. Yeah, absolutely. Ready to yeah. move into some mailbag stuff? Let's do it. I'm psyched. All right. We, we might have to brush through or not brush through, but talk about some of them quicker because we are getting up there. But from Matt Berger, what are obvious? Oh, yeah, let's try this. Um, I do not hear people talk about the fact we had a decent big man in Dylan Painter and let him transfer and didn't replace him in the recruiting market. What do you think about that? So, Matt, I actually think this is a really great question. And when I saw it, I was rushed back for years because mm, I haven't thought about that name in so long. Exactly. Memories. Dylan Painter was our year and it was just Started funny the first watching game him at the new play. Pavilion, by the way. Yeah. I remember when he dropped 10 at MSG. Was it the Big East tournament? Yeah, yeah I think it was. First game year. of the Big East tournament, I yeah. want to say. Um, I understand where you're coming from. The idea of a big man, the idea of letting him walk when we could have used that type of size. I just think painter specifically was not the right player for this program Mm -hmm. almost exclusively because he just wasn't athletic enough. He wasn't athletic enough and he didn't have really any glimpse of of an offensive game that he would need. It's nice to have the size, but you've also got to be able to score. And he never was able to do that. Yeah, that, that's fair. To give him credit in Delaware the last two years, counting this year as well, 13 and a half points and 11 and a half boards a year ago, yeah. and then 14 and a half and eight this year. But I, I do agree with him. I think the point can be made in that, you know, a true big man doesn't really come in. I mean, Demir Cosby Roundtree has also been on this roster, you know, the whole time that since Dylan Painter left. Yes, of course, he missed all that time with injury. Uh, as well. So I think you can sh- look there and say, no, Jay hasn't gone to recruiting the true big man. I think Nana and joku has got a chance to try and fill a role like that. But Dylan Painter isn't the guy I look at because we've discussed it many times this season. This Villanova team can struggle with athleticism mm. and you nailed it right there with I'm, uh, Dylan Painter wouldn't be the answer to giving them more, you know, quickness or, or lateral movement on the floor. Yeah. But I really like the idea of that question. I, I do too. To I think it's rooted yeah. in the right place. I, I really yeah. do. So it's fair to ask about interior, especially as we talk about Villanova getting ripped up on the interior again so no definitely a fair question yeah thank you yeah I like this one from John Palme a lot uh what critical elements of Villanova basketball has been missing this year they obviously show heart and hustle but some things are missing this was a phenomenal question you you take this one first yeah first thing is I completely agree that like this is not a team that is lacking quote attitude you know, the Mm -hmm. the hard and hustle. It's not (laughs) about that at all. Cause I see that pop up sometimes and I could not disagree more. Yeah. If it's lacking from Villanova basketball, it's the point I alluded to earlier, the ball movement and the off ball movement is nowhere near what we've seen in the past. And I think that is strongly and critically hampering what this offense can do right now. It's a really good point. A couple things came into my head and I'm really curious what John thinks because he seemed pretty passionate about this question too. On every winning team that Villanova has had, the Spellmans, the Ochefus, there's been this absolutely dynamic big man. And as as good as Eric Dixon has been, 
he doesn't live up to what Ochefu and, and Spellman were. So that popped into my head. The ball movement popped into my head. The idea of depth popped into my head. Mm, that's a good one. Yeah, there's just, I completely agree with you. Heart and hustle and intensity has never been an issue. Just go back and watch that Tennessee game. How many times those guys were on the floor. I never think that's an issue. Maybe it's just, man, this slump is just hiding a lot of the positives that we had seen at the beginning of the year that we were really Mm. excited about. I think that's fair. I I think that's fair. All right. Into the next one from big tasty. He goes actually very interesting here. You know, talking about similarities between this Villanova team, and the 2016, 17 Michigan state team in terms of a non-conference schedule where they lost to Arizona, Kentucky, Baylor, and Duke says Villanova is Villanova, but is it possible this out of conference schedule was a little too much. This one was so good too. This was a a really good question week. So thank you. So big tasty. I don't specifically remember that Michigan state team, but I did read that article. And I think, again, the question is rooted in such a good place. I'm going to say no. I don't think this team led by two fifth years in Gillespie and Samuels is going to let that be the narrative that drives this, this team. They want to play teams like UCLA and Baylor and Purdue. You would much rather see this team get tested early as opposed to this is like playing big five and then getting tested in March madness and realizing how many hidden weaknesses this team actually had. So I think the question is completely valid. I think there has definitely been a confidence, um, a lack of confidence. And you've seen it in guys like Samuels and Slater against these really quality opponents, but I would still rather that than just completely coast through and not realize this team had weaknesses until it was too late. Yeah, I I hate it when we completely agree, but I am with you. <laughs> I am with you here where I'd rather play the tougher non-conference schedule. I think you can make the argument that it was too tough in all the road games. Yes, that's the fact that UCLA or Baylor wasn't at home, I, I think can be rough. You know, that the fact that they had to to deal with both of those on the road, but I'd rather see them tested. I I do think it's beneficial come March and I'd rather it be done though. I do understand the fact of, you know, especially on the record, it's a hole to now dig out of. It's not the beautiful Villanova record we're used to seeing early. And it's because they had to play so many difficult opponents early on. Yeah. Which is, I mean, it's a good and a bad thing. You also realize that three of the four losses come against three of the best teams in the country, but I I got your point. And the other interesting thing was that it seemed like in that order, in that article that he attached, Tom Izzo totally took it on him. He was like, mm-hmm. you cannot blame these guys. This is me for making this schedule. It does not seem like Jay Wright feels that way at all. Yeah, I, I mean, Jay Wright helped form the schedule because he believed in this team and yeah, you, I think you it's can a confidence boost i yeah. do you, you can say it was a bit of a miscalculation as we're seeing especially scoring wise expecting some other players to to come forward but I, I, I do think that it, if anything, you look at it as that's how much that this coaching staff did believe in this team going into the season. Of course, the results haven't lived up to exactly what we expected, but that's where it's rooted. Yeah. And honestly, a lot of teams have had really tough non-conference schedules. When you mm-hmm. think about Duke and Gonzaga and Purdue, you don't, you don't want them to have a schedule like Baylor. I really don't feel like Baylor was tested until they had Villanova and they showed yeah, what they were made not. of, yeah. but, but yeah, I think that's a really good question. Definitely from Mike Metro. Are we bad? Yeah, this one is, I mean, it's a legit question. I love the bluntness, by the way. I really do. (laughs) I can appreciate that. Um, I think there are reasons to be concerned. I don't think Villanova is bad. 
what do you think? I do not think Villanova is bad. Um, I, I do think there's work to be done. Um, yeah. and, and things to straighten out and different things to try and some experiments to try in the lineup. But overall, this is not a bad team by any means. Yeah. You can watch some college basketball teams on nights and say that is a rough looking team. Yeah. One of us had some rough performances. They're not a bad team. And another interesting thing is I didn't walk away from the game on Friday and think, oh, wow, Creighton is much better than I thought. No, Creighton I... just outplayed them. This was a bad loss for Nova because they are a better team than what they showed on Friday. Mm hmm. No, yeah. I'm, I'm there. Uh, for Jack McCall, always love seeing their support, Jack. So thank you very much. Uh, what Im- what impact will home court advantage have playing good Big East teams? I mean, we've talked about it for the full hour. It, yeah, it's huge. pretty much. It's, it's huge. huge. They, need, they need a big home win. They need the fin to be packed. Hopefully we get a good theme from the Nova Nation. I would love to see that. It just, it's been too inconsistent to really build home momentum. And especially mm. in conference play, it matters so much. Yeah, I, I agree. It, it's a, such a huge difference with the home and away games, especially in conference. So yeah. I, I'm with you there. And then does Jay need to bring back the suits? A hundred percent. Yes. <laughs> I feel strongly about this. I would love to see the suits come back. What do you think? I'm okay with the casual. I am. Uh, but if it will result in Villanova winning more basketball games, then you got to go with the suits. It's that and simple. you're fully in support. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. And then we have two more to finish this up. More personal questions for myself and Emma coming from the great Eugene Repay. Uh, give us a story about the intramural flag football dynasty. What positions did you guys play? Where can we catch the highlight tapes? Who else was on the squad? All the details. So for those listening saying, what the heck is Eugene talking about? Uh, we've had some discussions in passing where uh, flag football team at Villanova was brought up. Uh, Emma was a part of it senior year, as I can say, where we did win the championship and the city six. So representing Villanova. Well, I was the captain of it for all four years. And I can proudly state that it was the greatest co-ed flag football team to ever step foot on Villanova's campus. Uh, Detail wise, we played 27 games. We won 25 of them uh, lost to both of them in the playoffs. Um, I was a center Uh, fun thing to think about with the center in flag football. You know, it's not straight offensive line. So I snap the ball, I stand there and then I can go out for a route. So I had plenty of, you know, catch and runs as, as people rushed or, or regarding uh, other receivers. I, I don't have to bore everyone with it, but I could not be prouder of this flag football team. Everyone who's on it knows who they were. And it was one of my favorite parts of my time at Villanova. Pat, I don't think anybody's bored. I think people are blown <laughs> away that you still remember those stats and that you're good for fantasy football purposes too, because you're getting some receptions. I can it's appreciate that. Big yak guy, you know, so, some yards yeah. after. And yes, I, I remember them vividly because the two losses was a lost freshman year to the referees um, in the semifinals. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, in which the ball bounced in the end zone. And of course, because it was against the referees, their friends were refereeing the game and they called it a catch. No, definitely not bitter five years later about uh-huh. that loss. Not, not, not at all. And the other now one Pat's a- not going to sleep tonight yeah exactly thanks eugene yeah and the other one was a championship lost junior year but two won the title sophomore and senior year and a city six senior year as well so not bad yeah that was actually so much fun we we played we had an awesome it was so much fun yeah emma caught a lot of touchdowns for us that year well it's fun because you had to a girl had to play quarterback for what every other play was Uh, that what it was if a guy caught the ball a girl had to catch it on the next one or the girl could be the quarterback and throw to anyone yeah, and I grew up in basically an all-boys neighborhood, so I was playing football all the time. I played softball, so I had a pretty good arm. I was right in my element. I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> we had some fun. We had some it was fun. So much so fun. Shout out yeah. to the whole intramural squad, and I hope everyone enjoyed uh, enjoyed story time with Pat from his time of, <laughs> at, at Villanova. Um, and then finally, our last question, also coming in from Eugene here. 
Emma, please defend and explain your take on Christmas trees. Thanks. Yeah. <sighs> you want to restate well, it for those that may have missed it? Sure, I can do that. I don't even remember how it came up. Were we talking about Josh was Hart our, and Home Alone? It was our favorite holiday songs. Oh, yeah. Okay, so basically, I don't see the point of Christmas trees. Oh, my God. That's the essence of the debate. And I literally was on a podcast yesterday called There's a Lot Going On on their Holiday Spectacular episode. So go listen to that and you can find my full take on it. And also about Christmas music and Christmas movies. But Christmas trees in general, it's just the general hassle of going out and getting a Christmas tree and bringing it back. And we have a door where only one side opens. So the one time a year we have to open both doors and it's such a pain. We have to carry the tree inside. And then you have to go through the whole thing of putting all the lights on and all the pine needles are on the ground on your socks. And you have to unplug the night, the lights every night before you go to bed. And I could talk for about six more minutes, but I'm sure you get the point. It's just a hassle. And I understand that I can go the fake tree route, Mm -hmm. but in general, I can love Christmas without having a Christmas tree. I love Christmas trees. So I will take, I will strongly take the other side um, and say, all of our listeners are just turning us off and never listening. I know we're, we're done now. Uh, Please, please come back. Uh, But yes, I I felt that we needed to give you a a more of an opportunity to explain. And so that I could just recant and say, I love everything about Christmas trees. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to be a horrible person. And when I have kids just deprive them of a Christmas tree. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not a bad person, but Right now, I just, I don't really, I don't see a point. It's a little bit more work. And I will say that my brother and sister feel the same way. Really? Oh, We would just rather not have a Christmas tree. And my mom forced us to get one this year. Way to go, Mrs. Houghton. I know. You do it. (laughs) (laughs) She really put her foot down this year. (laughs) Oh, I love it. No, of course. But thank thank you to Eugene for the two questions to allow us for story time. But that'll do it for us then. Yeah, that was a fun episode. Hopefully people will actually, it's not like we're any less mad about the game on Friday. No, I'm still pretty, pretty furious. Hopefully we showed how big of a game it is tonight against Xavier and how big of a test this can be. And hopefully Villanova can really turn the tides again, because Mm -hmm. they, they went from nine to 23 in the poll, a win against Xavier, even though it's at home could still push them pretty back far up. So this doesn't have to be the end all be all the season. Yeah, it would be a very big one if Villanova yeah. is able to come away with this, this one. A, a very big game, a very good team coming in here. And as we said, Villanova returns home. And that's really important because it's something that they haven't done very often so far this year. Um, but I hope everyone enjoyed that. We gave you a little bit of a longer episode being that we are on break for the rest of the week and the start of next week. So keep that in mind. Uh, as we go through this, that our next episode will be dropping next Thursday. Let me make sure I pull up that date. Um, December 30th will be the next one. Um, so, uh, you know, until then, be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes, leave a rating as well, and follow us on Twitter at SONNPod. Check out VUHoops.com with plenty of different content. You've got a game preview for the Xavier game, you know, some thoughts on the Creighton game. More will be coming throughout the week as well. To everyone listening, if you celebrate it, I hope you have a fantastic Christmas. Otherwise, have a wonderful holiday season, and we will be back at it after the Temple game. So, Nova Nation, that's a wrap.